And that's why Luca is connected to underwater, in case you haven't already known. Not again. Oh, sorry, welcome back to Square Horror. <laughs> I'm your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the master of ceremony, and today we're talking Saw 3. Danny, Saw you're three. excited. I'm hyped. Saw this, 3. This is, I'm very excited. This is arguably my favorite Saw movie. It's. I was just talking with Matt and saying that it's it's either this or Saw 6 are up there for me. For and I thought that was spot. an interesting choice. Not because it's bad, but just I never hear anyone say they particularly like 6. And <sighs> that's not saying I don't. I love I 6. I can't wait to just gush about 6. It's going to be great, because back-to-back we'll have Saw 5, me gushing, and then 6 is just you going, I just think it's neat. <laughs> and then okay. it's going to be 7. Yeah, oh, and then the final weeks will just be like, I really like the cameras, like something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is going to be a little bit strapped for time. Uh, my outline is eight and a half pages long, uh, but I'm going to get through it as concisely as possible. And I should warn you it that uh, I was writing this earlier this afternoon, and I had the <laughs> Arkham City soundtrack on in the background. So a lot of the Ooh. word choice may be a little, like, edgy or, like, amazing. you know, well, it'll, it'll, you know you'll, just, you'll see what I mean. Okay, so getting it. into Saw 3. The yes. third movie in the Saw franchise is one of finality, but also possibility, acting as a sort of end to the trilogy so far that has been Saw, and the gateway to the twisted game of death that is to come. Arriving a year after the second film, continuing the cyclical Halloween tradition of the Saw saga, Saw 3 is the third pillar in the trichotomy of this franchise's characters. Where the original movie was mostly from the victims' perspectives, characters that had little knowledge of what was going on and slowly learned along with the audience, and the second film was more from the pursuer's view with Detective Matthews and the cops, Saw 3 pulls back the curtain on the people on the opposite end of the traps, the observers and the perpetrators. Not only are we given a backstage look at what it must be like for someone to run these games, but also are given a new archetype of trap victim in The Judge, an individual who is part of the trap but not the one in mortal danger. These two perspectives, the observer and the perpetrator, probably thought to be the most hack or uninteresting of characters to write for, are the key to what makes this movie stand out. It's an emotional torture film, just as much, if not more, than a physical torture film. For Danny, what tortures someone more than their feelings? Nothing. Wow, you really did go ham with this outline this week. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm like, shit, we really got to get through it, but like, I really went off for this, if yeah. I do say so myself. Well, okay, because I should, I guess, briefly aside... This one's your favorite, like decisively it's your mm -hmm. favorite, yes? Okay. Yeah. When I was first watching them when I was in high school, this was also my favorite. It wasn't until like okay. later on I just got more appreciation for the later movies, but this one still mm -hmm. very much has that place in my heart of like the first time Saw really was like, it sh when I was watching it, it showed me that it was something more than just a serialized torture crime drama. Well, yeah, because I think you put it really well in saying that this is the first time when emotions are heavily invoked in the perpetrators, in the people who are going through the traps, in the viewer for how they feel about the people going through the traps. And I'll tell you right now, I man, think they cut down. They cut down on it. <laughs> yeah. You may think we're joking when we say that, but the movie had to be toned down seven times to obtain an R rating. The MPAA didn't cite the, you know, the normal torture, violence, all that bullshit. They cited emotional torture as a predominant factor in their decisions. So it was too, like, emotionally gripping. Draining. For, yeah, like, they were like, fuck this. No one should see this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, they, but they did cite shows like CSI that had become popular, and they had further numbed the general public to what I'm going to call, quote-unquote, clinical gore. And you know exactly the oh. scene I'm talking about in this movie. Uh, or, yeah, I mean, if anyone... The mo yeah, because that's probably the most graphic scene, mm -hmm. I would argue, in the whole series. But it's also just, it's just not raw medicine. torture. Yeah. It's just medical procedure. Well, I mean, the amount of people that I know that watch shows like CSI or Criminal Minds or Grey's Anatomy, they're not, you know, they're accustomed to what real-life gore looks like. And I feel like 
if people watch that mm-hmm. and they're okay, they'll actually be pleasantly surprised by how much they can actually handle with Saw. Because back when Saw was coming out, that wasn't really a thing yet. So obviously people freaked out, but the yeah. more and more it kind of got, you know. And unfortunately, some of the later creators of the movies felt like they needed to reassert themselves in the shock drama, which is why some of the traps in, I guess, coincidentally, particularly Six, get a little too over the top. Um, but yeah. I, I would say that the gore is still pretty much level with something you'd see in, like, CSI. Um, mm-hmm. But... <laughs> While Saw 3 was, has plenty of both types of gore, it could be considered an even further departure than Saw 2 in that 3 spends much more time focusing on its characters, how they feel, and how they interact with each other. This movie's prime focus is on pain. The pain of loss, the pain of inadequacy, the pain of failure. And unlike Saw 2, where Jigsaw was clearly the one at the middle of it all, here he is just as susceptible as everybody else. What I will now leave you with at the end of this overview is the tagline of the movie now even more apt. Suffering? You haven't seen anything yet. I love that tagline. It's so fucking cool. Because it's it's such a different... It really is. You have such a good point. It's such a different kind of suffering for a Saw movie. Because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily about the suffering in a trap and because of something else. It's because of just where you are in your life and mm-hmm. what life has brought you to. You brought up a good point last episode when you were talking about the entirety of da- of Matthew's suffering was the pain of, like, that emotional pain for his son, he, him not being able to help his son. So it's not like mm-hmm. Saw just all of a sudden decided to do this. It was just the first time it decided to spotlight the entire movie on that. Because two was still supposed yeah. to be, you got to back up Saw, you got to make torture movies. And the third movie, they're like, okay. Especially be- and now that I think about it, I didn't even realize it. We're about to get into it, actually. Um, but the film was originally not meant to happen, at least not by mm-hmm. Daryl and Bowsman's hands. But after producer Greg Hoffman's sudden death shortly after the release of Saw 2, the Saw Squad, which is what I'm going to call Lee Winnell, James Wan, and Daryl and Bowsman from here to eternity decided to make Saw 3 in memory of Hoffman. So not only is this movie an emotional pain movie, but the entirety of its inception was based in their gotta make it as a memorial to their friend who gave them the chance to make this big franchise. So I can absolutely see where they would be like, what if we focused on the pain of loss more than the pain of just, you know the standard torture fair. And Just I think pain, that it pain. works. Yeah. It, and it's, it, yeah. it's very much, it reads, um, Lee Winnell mm-hmm. wanted to make this movie a lot more emotional and himself describes the plot as a father daughter story between John and Amanda, which absolutely also reads. And yes, it's, can I just say, Tobin Bell and Shawnee Smith didn't need to go off as much as they did. Oh my gosh. They what the kill fuck? it in this they movie. They're just so good. And they're so different from how they were the last two movies. Every single movie that well, yeah. Amanda and John have been in, they're completely different. I was like, I really wanted to highlight Amanda's different arc in this movie because in the past, in the last movie, spoilers for Saw Two, she's <laughs> very excited about taking the reins from John, but then in this movie, she's so afraid to have the reins without someone to back her up because now she's realizing that John is dying of cancer. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no way around it. This is suddenly going to be in her hands and she doesn't know if she can handle it. And I think when we'll get more into it later, she knows she's not worthy because she even Mm self-identifies later on as a murderer and she knows that John is not... we're gonna. I'm not gonna pussyfoot around this. John clearly is a murderer. He clearly makes death traps. We know. Get over it. Now back to the point. Yes. Amanda knows that John is not a murderer. So she, and she knows that he despises the traps Murders. just being executions or you mm-hmm. know just like symbolic you know things. They're supposed to teach someone a lesson and they're supposed to become something that transforms that individual. Amanda. Mm-hmm. just is so fucked that she can't make that transition effectively 
And I think that that's where a lot of well, people because place she doesn't that. believe that other people necessarily earned their place like she did. Yeah, and I also think that she like that's like she has a a line later where she claims that the method is bullshit. And I think a lot of people cite that as they're like, oh, well, clearly this isn't really like a cult of Jigs or anything. And I'm like, okay, but have you looked at the person he chose? Amanda is clearly emotionally unstable because she used to be a drug addict. She's clearly being manipulated by this super criminal. And she's building elaborate death machines to try to appeal to this father figure that she knows she isn't worthy of. And that war inside of her bubbles over into her lashing out at people so just Mm -hmm. the case study in amanda i feel like it's worth an episode but we don't have the time for it (laughs) (laughs) so really quickly i'll go through production and just umi zoomy really quick directed by darylin bowsman again written by lee winnell with story by lee and james wan so again they're intrinsically linked with the production uh to the point that lee winnell was there and this one with this one, Lee Winnell had a had a huge hand in. I really wish I'd listened to it again right before this, but when I was driving up to North Dakota, I listened to a couple episodes of the Seeing Saw podcast they made leading up to Spiral. Yeah. And on the Saw 3 episode, they brought in Lee Winnell to talk about his experience with it. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to hear his side of the story after not being with the movie for two and then bringing it all back together for three into what he envisioned for the for these characters did he talk about how uh he would fix up the scripts even to the day of including the climactic uh, encounter with lynn and amanda he wrote on napkins minutes before they shot it <laughs> he sure did i good i'm glad that. he did I hated being the actor but i Holy, love that <laughs> i have a note later about um Darren Bowsman, but the um, DVD extras on Saw 3 have this thing called Darren's Diary, which I sent you some of. It's just Darren mm-hmm. Bowsman being like the most like dramatic theater kid queen and just <laughs> giving shit to everybody. Like Lee Winnell, he's straight up like, I would hesitate to call, like in front of him was like, I would hesitate to call what Lee Winnell does, quote unquote, acting. And Lee's just like, wow, Darren, thanks, buddy. The whole thing is just Darren complaining about shit. But, like, it's obviously justified. He's super stressed. But I just see him, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're just a huge theater kid. I mean, obviously, because he's into Repo and and Devil's Carnival. I'm like, you're just a theater kid who's directing a massively successful horror movie. Yep. I think that makes him more relatable. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. I want to note the production design from Saw 2 on is done by David Ackle, who is also going to be the director of Saw 5. Uh, David A. Armstrong is back, and boy are his edits fun, because this is the start of those crazy, weird transitions that you love. Yes! I They're love all those transitions. also shot in real time. I had no idea, but all of those crazy like transition shots that seem like they couldn't be real... They made those in real time. They, they made, made them it on happen. Sets. No cuts, which is super stressful. I, uh, I could only imagine. <laughs> yeah, like there's one where um, Carrie has, they, they're moving from the classroom trap to her sitting in the bath. She literally had to go yeah. off screen, take all of her clothes off, jump, jump into the bathtub, but like while the camera like moved away from her and up this hallway. And I'm like, oh my God. That's horrible. It's nuts. Uh, also, Charlie Closer is back. And uh, on the music for and inspired by uh, disc, they have music by bands like All That Remains, Slayer, Lamb of God, Disturbed, Helmet, Drowning Pool, uh, Bullet for My Valentine, Avenged Sevenfold, and 18 Visions. If that tells you anything about this type of movie, it's all super edgy early 2000s metal. And... When I was watching these movies in high school, those were all my favorite bands. Oh, yeah. So they knew their audience, and they did it correctly. Uh, But for Charlie Closer, I think this movie might be my favorite soundtrack. Because all the time I put on the anthology uh, on Spotify, especially when I'm doing the episode write-ups, all of my favorite Mm -hmm. songs are from this movie, especially Baptism, 
which is the song that's uh, when John is like, you'll give everything to me, every cell in your body. Mm -hmm. Just that like light piano tickling that's going on of the original theme. It's fucking amazing. Um, uh, I have that the, so you know how we were talking about like the budget for Saw 2 was like double what the first movie was? Mm -hmm. This movie is more than double what the second movie was. We're at ten million versus four million. Uh back when the wow. big budget was two million. Uh now we got ten mm -hmm. million dollars on this movie. And it was the highest grossing Saw film in theaters, and I think that includes Spiral. Actually, I think that stands think. to this day. I'm not sure that I'm the, pretty the sure maybe I I'm gonna say it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Also, Billy gets an upgrade uh, for this movie. Uh, for this movie, the prop crew was given the original puppet, but found that it was a piece of garbage, and time had damaged it, obviously, so they recreated it. They used water jet cut foam for the body instead of fiberglass, uh, equipped it with plates to hold the puppet together, and magnets to attach him to the tricycle. The back of the head was removable, and it made it easier to slide animatronic pieces in, so that means that the puppet in the first movie was probably two pounds now it's probably more like 12 pounds yeah yeah that's got to be something to move around i mean most of the time it was just in the 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 video screens i think mm -hmm. there's only one scene where the puppet is actually in but for the rest of the movies they right. update the puppet so that he can be used in the uh the video you know the hello so-and-so, you fucked up, here's what you gotta do. That's kind of what they use the puppets for. Uh, mm -hmm. I also have one last note about production um, that I couldn't believe was real. <laughs> I hope that you didn't know this. <laughs> so, Lionsgate's president of theatrical marketing. Not Twisted Pictures, Lionsgate. The Twisted Pictures, like, parent company. People that brought you Twilight and uh, The Hunger Games and a lot of other very famous teen drama movies. The same guy that did the theatrical marketing for all those movies pitched the idea to make a thousand limited edition posters for Saw 3 with a small amount of Tobin Bell's blood mixed into the printing ink. He said, quote, I asked if it would be possible to use actual blood. There was silence. And then one of the people at the table said, we could try, but are you serious? I said I was dead serious. <laughs> the posters were sold for $20, with the first being auctioned off. All the proceeds from the auctioned poster were donated to the Red Cross. Uh, and that also links up with Lionsgate held the third annual Give Till It Hurts Blood Drive with the Red Cross, which they've done since the first movie, and continued to do mm -hmm. through Jigsaw. Uh, and they collected uh, over 23,000 pints of blood. And wow. I just, yeah. E and every year they do that, they get so much blood. <laughs> yeah. But I just can't believe yeah, that Tobin Bell, Tobin Bell, like, he agreed to give them his yeah, blood. He, he just said, okay. And Danny, those, that's not like, an urban legend. That's real. Those posters are out there. There are a thousand posters with his blood in them. That's a lot of posters. And I, that's I always crazy. thought it was. I always thought it was lame because there's a bunch of posters for Saw Three. All the Saw movies have like at least half a dozen posters per movie. This one, mm -hmm. Saw Three, is that one is the one I objectively thought was kind of the lamest because it's just John in the red cloak. But that's the one they used. Like, that's the one that has his blood in it. So now I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not actually all that lame after all. <laughs> well, because one of the other posters they had was the one with the three teeth on a string, mm -hmm. which is a part of a cut trap from this movie. Yes. That involved someone having to extract their own teeth. Mm -hmm. I've found that kind of interesting. Every time they scuttle a trap in, these, in this franchise... Nine times out of ten, they end up using it later. Because like, that trap is mm -hmm. in Saw 7, the pulling teeth one. Yeah. And um, like we'll get to it later when we get to the traps, like, but the, originally the angel trap was supposed to rip off limbs, and they ended up doing that in the next movie because they're like, no, no, no. It'd be way cooler right. if you just ripped li like ribs out of someone's chest. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of Tobin Bell, as we've said, him and Shawnee Smith are back, and holy cow, are they goddamn fantastic. 
yeah. Tobin Bell's Jigsaw is, as we saw him in the last movie, was dying of cancer. Now he's on his deathbed, so he spends the entirety of the movie very convincingly acting bed. like he's dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because the thesis of the movie is that Amanda has kidnapped a nurse to attempt to keep John alive while uh, another man uh, does a surgeon. a surgeon. I'm sorry. I know there's a difference. Um, but in Shawnee Smith's case, uh, God, is she fucking creepy? Like just the intro, like with her theme music, her just like walking around the, the whole warehouse they're in. I'm like, ugh, she's scary. Well, and What's really interesting about her in this movie that I think about is she goes from having utter control of a room to not knowing what to do with herself in Mm -hmm. an instant as soon as something seems to go wrong. And even in those instances, it's not like she's helpless. When she's starting to lose control, then she gets dangerous because then Mm -hmm. she's trying to take that control back. She's like, I'm a fucking jigsaw protege. I'm not supposed to not yep. know what the fuck to do. I kill shit. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. relax. Um, but they spent it to kind of link back up with the uh, with what Lee said about it being a father daughter story. Uh, her and Tobin Bell spent several weeks before filming getting to know one another to establish a bond that could believably be brought to the screen. And man, their chemistry mm. is really even just the like looks they give to each other. It's perfect like they've clearly been yeah. working together like the characters have been uh for a long time now at least a year in uh relative isolation where it's just the two of them and he's just feeding her mm-hmm. more and more of his ideology and she's soaking it up so they really do have that bond that is very cool and is unlike any other bond that jigsaw has with anybody including his wife which we get to know more about next movie. <laughs> we get to see a little bit in this uh, one. I lo- they start doing it, I think they, we said they started doing it in the last movie, but they definitely start doing it in this one, where they start putting little bits of, like, not spoiler, but like Easter egg stuff, just of like, mm-hmm. this won't make sense now, but like later on it will it make will a later. lot of sense. Like during his yep. brain surgery... He blacks out, and all we all we see is his mind, and it's just this woman. And we're like, mm-hmm. "Wait, what? S- hold, hold on." <laughs> or you know, with the the wax tape and all of that stuff that we're, it's just gonna be like, yeah. soft force gonna be good. Um, but I I think going off of that, uh, how talented he was. He was again nominated for an MTV Movie Award uh, for Best Villain and again lost, although this time it was to Jack Nicholson in The Departed, which is a great movie and he is fantastic in it. Uh, The movie itself was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Horror Film but lost to The Descent, which, very good movie, I will give it that, concede The Descent is very awesome. Um, And a Teen Choice Award it was nominated for for Best uh, Thriller Slash Horror but lost to fucking Disturbia. With Shia LaBeouf. Wait, like the Shia LaBeouf Disturbia? Yeah, Disturbia, the movie. Not the not the music video. The the movie Disturbia that is just like shittier rear rear window with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Yeah, so oh, it lost man. to that. But hey, Teen Choice Awards. Teen Choice Awards. That's true. That's, that's I mean a, a lot point. of teenagers thought Slender Man was a good was a good movie, so I mean we're not gonna give them the, you know, complete carte blanche just to dictate which ones are good. Anyway, so uh, moving on with the cast, um, Lynn Denlin is uh, one of our other main characters. She's played by Bahara Samke. She was in Crash, Mission Impossible 3. She hasn't done a whole lot and, in fact, uh, was kind of dragging her heels the entire time they made the movie because she really doesn't like horror movies. Uh, And, in fact, the whole first month she was on set, she had very bad nightmares. Oh, man. Yeah. She did, however. Yeah, I know. She did, however, enjoy not being typecast as a Middle Eastern character, like in most of her previous roles. So I guess that's good for her, Uh, especially because, um, yeah, it's not perfect. Her performance isn't perfect, but I really like her chemistry with John. I I'm gonna talk about it later when we get to her, but the way that she is with him. So like last movie, we have. 
Eric talking to John a whole lot. And the whole time that they're talking, it's more just John saying words and Eric dismissing everything. Mm-hmm. During the course of this movie, when John talks to Lynn, it's clearly a lot more human. Like, it's not coming from a place of, like, facetiousness like it was the last movie. This movie, it's a lot more just like, hey, it's okay, you can do this, like, just relax. After he gives her some shit for uh, vague reasons for why she's there. Mm-hmm. But um, towards the end, when they're talking, she listens to him. Eric never really yeah. listened to John. When John talks to Lynn, eventually she starts to listen to him. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that like crack of the veneer of her as a surgeon not having good patient, you know, bedside manner, it kind of shifts back to the point where she gets back into that. Um, and over the course of it, it's again, like a lot of relationship stuff in this movie, it's a lot nuanced. It's not really expressly stated, but you can just see the way that they are together. It changes as Amanda mm-hmm. loses her cool more and more. Uh, Lynn gains her cool more and more. She's like, okay, I can do this. She becomes the surgeon. She takes control of the situation, uh, in, even in the face of like inexplicable horror around her. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in my favorite scene in the movie, which we'll talk about later. Um, but for right now, uh, we also got Jeff, 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 Jeff is played by Angus McFadden. He's been in pretty much every movie that you, me and Kevin have ever watched together. (laughs) He's been in Braveheart, Equilibrium. Um, we bought a zoo. Uh, he's in the newer, uh, Superman (laughs) and Lois show. And uh, the only really okay. trivia that I had was that he's a fan of Saw. So that must have been cool for well, him. <laughs> another little fun fact about him is that Darren Lynn Bowsman never actually met him until the first day of him on set shooting. That's the first time they actually interacted. That's classic Bowsman, man. <laughs> That's classic <laughs> him, bro. Just like, oh, you're like the main character in our movie? How are you? I don't know if you're an asshole. Like, he probably was like, I hope you're not an asshole. All right, we're rolling. (laughs) Um, Also noteworthy is um, Carrie's back. Carrie from Saw 1 and 2, uh, Dina Meyer. She was in Starship Troopers and the old CW show Birds of Prey where she was Barbara Gordon. Because Birds of Prey used to be a show on the CW, and she was not only in it, but she was like the main character in it, Mm -hmm. which is pretty sweet for her. Uh, two characters that I will mention because they show up again in this movie, uh, but they're not important till the next one, are um, Officer Rig, who's played by Lyric Bent, who we'll get to know a lot more in the next movie. And Detective okay, we got Mark. to see a little bit of him in yeah, yeah. 2 with I actually forgot Matthews. he was in 2. <laughs> no, you're right. But yeah, because he's got that whole thing where he's like, hey, just like beat him to death. Don't worry, I'll cover your tracks. <laughs> and Detective Mark motherfucking Hoffman. Hoffman. Played by by Costas Mandalore. That is his real last name. You can go fuck (laughs) everyone who hates (laughs) on Hoffman. It's nobody. It's just me imagining. I just... Obviously, Mark Hoffman is named after Greg Hoffman. So, obviously, after he passed away, this is the first movie that this character shows up in. And uh, I guess lucky Mm -hmm. for Greg Hoffman, uh, Detective Mark Hoffman is in the rest of the franchise. Uh, at yes. least through the final chapter. So, mm-hmm. noteworthy traps, because this is a Saw movie. we got to talk about the traps, and Saw 3 has interesting ones. Clearly, yes. they wanted to do ones that they had not done before. Um, like, for instance, the freezer one. They're like, okay, well, we've already had people yeah. burn to death, bleed to death, um, all that shit. We needed someone to freeze to death. So they're like, what if we just hung someone in a freezer and sprayed water on them how long would it take them to die and it's pretty Mm -hmm. gnarly um but i mean that one is just uh, truly though just one of the kind of mediocre ones in this movie well yeah there are some that are crazy when they were filming it was really interesting because um spoiler alert the person doesn't get out oh Um, no but so (laughs) in order to film after the fact they couldn't get 
a full body cast of the mm. person in like the ice. So they had to do a front half and then a back half. That's and they so used creepy. whichever one they were filming from because they weren't so allowed creepy. to fully entomb the person. Yeah, I love they use the word entomb. I'm like, ooh, that's kind of <laughs> creepy. Um, <laughs> a couple that I want to talk about, uh, the classroom trap, which I refer to as the uh. fuck off ring trap. Um, which is done by a man named Troy, which is, he's interesting. The actor is, um, him and Darylin Bowsman go way back. Uh, he was in, uh, Darren's first short film and helped him finance his second one. He then went on to show up in pretty much every musical project that he'd ever done. So he's in Devil's Carnival somewhere. Uh, and I really, really want to find him. Um, he might be in Repo as well. Uh, but he's just like one of his buddies. Um, Mm -hmm. he, that's, so you know how last movie we were talking about how that two is the first one with a cold open and, Mm -hmm. uh, this one, we really couldn't think of one. It's because the cold, the cold open for this is Eric Matthews at the end of Saw 2. It's him in the bathroom stuck and, uh, Mm -hmm. how he creatively finds a way to beat the original bathroom trap. Um, you know, he reaches for the saw. Mm. He can't bring himself to cut his foot off. So he takes the porcelain lid and he just breaks his foot and then he can pull it out of the shackle. <laughs> also, ah, uh, if, like you, if you really want to get destroyed, watch that movie. And every time he screams, I'll fucking kill you. You're nothing or you're not Jigsaw, bitch. Take a drink because you'll, within you're two minutes, die. you're dead. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> um... <laughs> But that classroom trap, I want to just talk about it for a bit. Uh, it's not as graphic as I remembered it. You know? It's like, not, it's, but it's the it's the thought of it yeah, that keeps me about it. I think that's kind of what we're, we're finding more and more with these movies is the traps themselves, it's more just the mental image. So for those of you who are curious, this classroom trap is something like straight out of Hellraiser. The individual is... is is in he's standing in the room with chains coming out of his body that are linked to o rings that have been pierced through his flesh at areas that would be relatively non lethal but would hurt extensively so like parts of the bicep in between the thumb and the finger um the achilles tendons which as soon as he kicked those, those out he should those i don't yep. think you can do anything about <laughs> no because as soon as you kick those out you can't walk like yeah, your entire leg muscle is You're, gone. It's done for. You're done, yeah. buddy. So I will just say, when you're going into that one, when you look at it, you already know exactly what the trap is gonna be. And if you have to look away, we don't blame you. <laughs> um, the angel trap, which we're not gonna say who's in it yet, because that'll be a spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it essentially is an apparatus in which a person has metal stuff attached to their rib cage that I don't even really know how to describe it. You just got to like see it. It just kind of more mm-hmm. after, unless a key is unlocked, you know, the harness rips out and kind of gives them like a blood angel thing where they just rip their, their ribs out of their chest uh, that one also mm-hmm. isn't as graphic as it should be. Like, that's straight yeah. up, like, a fucking fatality kill. But there's no blood in that. Like, there's zero blood yeah. when, sh- when that happens. Uh, which is, I think, that's where they're true. like, we gotta cut all the blood. Okay, we're trying to get our R rating. <laughs> we can't just have the guts flying everywhere. Um, another one I want to talk about is the pig vat. The pig, pig vat. vat trap. Yes. Um, you're probably wondering, what's the pig vat, intrepid podcast hosts? Please don't lead me down another dark path of visualization, but that's what we're going to do. Danny, do you want to take the pig <laughs> vat trap? Yeah. So there's this guy who's um, stuck to the bottom of a giant vat. And before you can know anything about it, uh, or after, I think it's after the jigsaw little announcement but um then pigs like rotting pig carcasses get brought into the room on little 
like meat hooks and they get dropped into a grinder that grinds them into a fine I wouldn't say it was paste. fine because it's pretty <laughs> chunky. <laughs> it's nasty. And then that paste starts filling the vat. Imagine drowning in liquefied, rotting pig carcass. I'm sorry if you're eating during this, but why are you eating during a saw episode? <laughs> um, further in being gross and kind of thrifty. So they had a budget that was huge you would think right they could only mm-hmm. afford four of those pig carcass props so they had to keep like repositioning them to make it look like there was more of them <laughs> um but darylin bowsman really wanted real maggots on them so they got real maggots to put them yeah they just used honey to keep the maggots on the carcass um, on the fake carcass. <laughs> yes, yeah, like obviously the maggots were not hurt. They were not put on anybody, so you don't have to worry about that. And they're only mm-hmm. in like the shots for a couple seconds just to really get like to sell you on how gross the pigs are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also never seen a pig look like that, and it's kind of disturbing because it it's, almost looks like nasty. a person because they're just so big and they're like completely already like empty. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I do want to point out that. The reason I wrote down anything about Darren's diary at all is um, one of the things on that was so he's off he's off camera obviously in like some hallway with a walkie talkie and a monitor of the push in on the judge that's in the vat and he just says go and it's like every time they jump it and every time it hits him in the face he just laughs maniacally <laughs> i'm like you are a supervillain darlin bowsman <laughs> um i literally just wrote the whole fucking darren's diary making a bet to lose weight with the executive producer grabbing his balls in front of people during takes to throw them off um, and making fun of Shawnee Smith when she farted during a serious take. Also roasting actors, and especially David Armstrong, um, and just all around directing like a boss. I highly recommend, at least for you, Danny, to watch that if you have the DVD, because holy shit, it's so funny. Because <laughs> I sent you the one of him just being like, how the fuck are we going to get Lee in the bathtub? Shawnee can't lift him in the bathtub. And it's just David Armstrong being like, oh no, we'll just sweep it like this, and him just looking at him like, I'm not going to fucking do that. That sounds hard. (laughs) Um, And then finally, I would say this movie's reverse bear trap or this movie's needle pit, The Rack. Mm -hmm. A lot of people say it's the angel trap, but I feel like a lot of people sleep on The Rack because it's fucking horrible. I would say the angel trap, I think people remember as worse than it is. Whereas the rack, everyone forgets how fucking horrible how it is. Awful it is, and it's just as visually striking. Like the image of that man on the crossbeam, like it's mm-hmm. just like, what the hell is going on here? And Jigsaw even takes time to say the device that he strapped in is my personal favorite, because mm-hmm. I mean it is a feat of engineering. Um, essentially, yeah. uh, an individual is on a crossbeam like a big X, like their limbs are all stretched out like an X and their head is in a vice. All of their limbs are in vices. Um, Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, their feet and hands are pierced to like hold them to the, the gear apparatus because one by one, the gears are going to start turning until the individual's limb is a complete 180 direction out of where it should be. And, uh, I watched the unrated version. I think the unrated version is on HBO Max. In yes. the unrated version, it is pretty gnarly. Um, it is very commendable. The effects, the effects are. Um, but again, that's one that you can look at it and be like, I kind of get the gist, and you can look away if you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, because this, the rack is is pretty gnarly. It's intense. <laughs> the rack is fucked. Um, but that does it for the trap notes. Uh, I want to get into the movie notes where I feel like we'll spend as much time as we was, we're probably going to be allowed uh, mm. because I feel like that's where the most of the big ideas are, mm. uh, or at least evidence. I mean, I've, I talked a lot of shit in the overview, yeah. <laughs> and all of that evidence is footnoted in the breakdown, so I hope we have enough time to get mm-hmm. through everything. Um, but can we talk for a bit about Lynn, just 
general overview. Um, yeah. Why she's there, uh, why I think she's super interesting. Well, yeah, so when we first, or one of the first times we meet Lynn is when she's working at a hospital and she's just hidden herself away from the ER in her like locker room area and she has to be found by one of the nurses in order to help her try to help save this child who's dying of one way or another and when she does get there she's able to solve it very quickly because you can obviously tell she's very good at what she does but she has lost the will to do anything with any ounce of effort anymore she just feels drained constantly and i'm gonna slightly correct you the first scene we see her in is when she's sleeping with that guy and is just like i a, said one of the oh i'm so sorry i'm so, i literally no, i didn't i, mean I to started well to and i was like you. oh shit i'm gonna be wrong i didn't mean to well actually you but it was like <laughs> but i think it's apt because the first thing we see her in she is like a robot she's just mm-hmm. leaving this guy that she just had sex with and he's like can you just look at me for five seconds yeah um but like in conjunction with that scene she has all of the hallmarks of clinical depression or just mm-hmm. a, a a depressive episode because she has been just zombie walking through life you can see it in her face even before she goes to her locker to take like prozac or something mm-hmm. or whatever she may be abusing at the time uh, yeah. and she's just completely zombified and I will defend John later on when he says, um, that when he's like talking about like the kind of person, she, you know, like the backhanded way he always like reroutes everything back to the person he's talking to. Like, Oh yeah. Like I'd be the kind of person who like swallows antidepressants to mask the pain. People give shit for that line because like, well, yeah, she's taking, you know, she's taking her meds. She should be. No, because she's clearly not prescribed those, especially Mm -hmm. because if you know a lot about the world of pharmacology, I know how interesting this is, but um, psychological pharmacology with antidepressants, especially the ones that she's probably taking, they don't really make you like they just they get rid of the depression feelings by making you just not feel anything like Mm -hmm. it turns you into that zombie. Like she, I feel like she's probably taking anxiety medications instead of depression because they just turn her into a zombie. She can't like her voice doesn't really modulate at all. I think the way that that they that they wrote this character and that Bahar plays this character is extremely underrated because mm-hmm. she's supposed to be someone who is like John dead on the inside and that's what he tells her is yeah. that you're as you're about as alive as I am. Um, also when you mentioned the, she saves that little boy, she takes a Mm -hmm. beat when she sees him to just kind of regard him. And I'm thinking, knowing what we know about the end of the movie, um, Mm. I just knowing that that's definitely super deliberate that they did that. And that after like the dozenth time watching this, that was the first time I had found that in addition Mm -hmm. to like later on, like when Amanda's sitting on her bed there's a doll, like a large, like American girl sized doll with the rib cage open to simplify the angel of death, the, the big angel trap they just did. Mm-hmm. And there's a picture of the birth of Venus next to her bed, which obviously symbolizes rebirth. And I'm just like, how did I miss all of these things? <laughs> there's so much in these movies. Yeah. All the time. And it, obviously, like, I mean, this is like the probably 15th time I've watched this movie. And I'm just like, I fucking never realized that, or like I never made that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to segue, I guess into Amanda, um, we see her. She has kidnapped Lynn from the hospital to bring her to John, so that she may keep him alive while another for- test subject finishes his deal. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that situation is one of sheer lunacy. I mean, John is dying of brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got an inoperable frontal lobe tumor. And however great a surgeon Lynn is, and she worked at the same hospital that Dr. Gordon did. Like, she knows yep. him. 
Because the first thing that she tells him is, I've seen you on the news. You were Dr. Gordon's patient. And then John says my favorite line of his in the movie, of, of at least my favorite of his lines in this movie, I was his patient and he was mine. That's such a cool line. We can't yeah. talk about how cool it is, but yet. like, Not yet. oh man, it's such a good line. Because that's the big thing of, you know, like the first thing Amanda said after the police interrogator was, he helped me. So this mm-hmm. is kind of perpetuating that, like, Jigsaw is kind of a doctor in his own right. Um, I also want to note, just purely for us and the people that know us that are that are listening, I feel like our friend Tessa could totally play Amanda. I could see you could, that. You, you know what I mean, right? I can see I, like, it. I would the whole time. I'm just like, oh my god, I can totally see her doing that. Um, not that that really matters. I just thought I would write it down. <laughs> um, we talked a bit about the filter of the second movie, right? And I was like, that green. Oh yeah, that green tint, it, that iconic yeah. Darren Lynn Bowsman era green. Okay, so that is him because it's in this movie too. I don't remember it a lot from Saw Four. I'm hoping that David Armstrong was like Darren. You don't have to filter everything. It's okay. In four, he goes a little bit more into multicolors, mm-hmm. uh, if if memory serves. That's when they bring red back. Because I know James yep. Wan really likes red. Like if you watch Dead Silence, that whole filter is just muted tones, unless it's red, and then it's the only thing you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but we kind of talked about uh, John's motives for choosing. We actually didn't talk about him. The motives for choosing her, uh, but. The justification that he gives her, I have heard from many fans, including ones that legitimately like the movies, that it's kind of piss poor to just be like, you're depressed, so I'm going to take you. I think it's a lot more complicated than that, especially because it's not that she's depressed. It's that in her depression, she has willfully and knowingly neglected every other aspect of her life to Mm -hmm. the point where, as a doctor... Like what we talked about last time, you can be a shitty person, but if you're a shitty cop, you can't be because like you have a responsibility. In her yes. case, she is a surgeon who's supposed to be saving lives, but because she's not taking the responsibility to fix her bullshit, people might die, and mm-hmm. that's not fair to them. Yes. Uh, call it whatever you want. I I know it's a little thin, but I it works. Okay, just you'll have to trust us at least until the spoiler territory. Um, complete segue. Talk about Jeff. Let's do this. Let's get into Jeff. Um, so in this movie, instead of commenting on the corrupt police system, we're going to talk about the, the corruption and just callous bullshit of, uh, the legal system and how it can just totally ruin people's lives. And it just ripples away and away and only makes things worse. So Jeff is a, uh, father who has lost his son. In a mm-hmm. to a to a what to he a what driver. he says is a drunk driving accident. Well, yeah, because yep, you, something that's you really interesting that, right? <laughs> I, is that no, other than Jeff himself, it's never mentioned that it's a drunk driver. Yeah. It's just that it was an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but clearly, the death of his son and uh, the, how the killer was only given. Uh, what was it? Six months? It was like nothing. It was like a stupidly so. it was, small. It was of time. under a year. It was six months, and then they let him go early anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was just, I mean, so that on its own is horrible. Losing a child obviously is probably the worst thing anyone could ever go through. He becomes an alcoholic. His grief compounds with his rage, mm-hmm. and all of it ferments for the past few years. This is not mm-hmm. like a couple of months, and he's just not been around for his daughter a couple times. This has been going on for years. And I think it's really striking that one of the first things we see is him interacting with his daughter after having she's one of his afraid of drunk. Him. Oh, yeah, she's <laughs> terrified and she tries to find some comfort in her mm. dead brother's stuffed toy. A pig, and, coincidentally. Mm? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Jeff cannot bring himself to see this toy outside of his son's room because it reminds him of his son and he can't think of his other child in that way, which I think is just heartbreaking that he has lost so much of himself and his trust in himself as a father that he can barely look at his other child anymore. Yeah. And I would say that all of that really 
you need to keep in your mind as you watch this movie because we know some individuals that will go unnamed that uh, give him a lot of snark for his actions during the traps. But I will say poo-poo on those because not only <laughs> because of the reasons we all just said, but, you know, you just saw a man drown in pig carcass. The fuck you're going to act? You don't know how to act in that situation. You're in shock, especially because all these people that are in these traps are people that he wished death upon, again, for years. Mm-hmm. It's the woman who saw the whole thing and did nothing. The judge who passed the sentence. And inevitably, the man who killed his son himself. All these mm-hmm. people Jeff hates with an indescribable amount of rage. And then it's the shock of seeing them in that perspective. And Jigsaw's pleading to forgive them. Mm-hmm. Which he does. He tries to do that. And it's it's hard enough to do that when these are people that are you hate but there's also the added shock of seeing someone in an elaborate death trap slowly losing their limbs so i will give him i will give him that i also thought about how jeff's role as the decider it echoes john's own personal views on doctors he seems to have a kind of negative taste in his mouth for them um Mm -hmm. being this unfeeling but completely capable savior like they have all the tools and skill necessary to save somebody but the fact that they don't he just can't understand so him being the savior for those people that are doomed to die he's putting him in that in that role um plus angus mcfadden fucking rules everything every scene that he's in is jeff i'm just like i believe it i buy it because, I mean, you know me. I have a thing for narratives about desperate, spiraling people losing their children. Mm. I know how that looks on paper. And I, and I understand from an actor's perspective what it must be like to, to act that. Um, and especially if he has kids, uh, what it must be like to put yourself in that perspective of, like, this could be me. This could be me, mm-hmm. you know, two years from now. You never know. Oh, ooh, that was kind of dark. <laughs> Moving out of brain surgery, that's not so dark. Yeah. Um, so part of her treatment on John is that Lynn is going to perform this, like, horrible brain surgery. Which is a real yeah, operation. To relieve the swelling on his brain, which has drastically decreased his uh, motor skills. So he's been bedridden because of a lot of the the swelling on his brain. Mm-hmm. Uh. Again, not at all edited by the MPAA. They were like, no, tool. Totally, totally fine. Absolutely. Well, for, they wanted to at first, but then they were like, hey, you let this stuff on TV. Like, hey, and they were CSI. Like, they're like, okay. You're right. Which is exactly <laughs> the reason why, Danny, the next movie, they just have a straight up autopsy to open the movie. Yep. <laughs> they're just like, we can totally get away with this if it's like for science. Um, yep. But I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm fucked up. But I think it's kind of oddly satisfying. Like, I don't know about... Okay, let me... Let me I can see the look on your face. Let me explain myself. Please do. <laughs> I, I get headaches a lot. I get, I've had migraines since I was a kid. Uh, I get headaches almost every single day. Um, so if you were to tell me that all you need to do in that... Like, if, if, you, were, if you caught me in the middle of a horrible migraine where I can't think, see or even sleep because of the pain that all I needed to do was crack open a little bit of my skull and to relieve the pressure on the brain. Can you imagine how good it must feel? I like, mean, yeah, but John, the problem, I'm just saying like John problem, probably is like, Oh, that feels so much better. <laughs> but the problem for me is that you have to be conscious for the surgery. That's okay. You cannot be put under any anesthetic. It's because I'm, um, so your brain doesn't have any pain receptors on it. So you can poke mm-hmm. and prod and electrocute it all you want. You're never going to feel anything. As a matter of fact, that's how we found out a lot about what we know about the brain. Is that like during brain surgery, and you can imagine this, you're awake for brain surgery. They're like, would you mind if we just like ran electrodes across this area and just tell us what you feel? Because then it's like, oh, that's how we know that like the nose is connected to the this thing. They're like, oh, this part of the brain goes with this. And, you know, like upon stimulation. And the people are just awake going... Sure, why not? You might as well. You're already inside my fucking brain. (laughs) 
I don't know. I don't think I would do well hearing, like, drilling through my skull. That is the one thing. Once you get through that and your brain is out and they're just kind of poking at it, it's kind of like... So, guys, like, what does it smell like? Like, then you can kind of be <laughs> loose and be like... So, like, can I see it? <laughs> like, can you give me a mirror? <laughs> maybe, again, maybe that's just me. Um, ooh, really quick, uh, before we move on to towards the end... Um, the scene that I want to mention that's my favorite with Amanda and Lynn is uh, Lynn's kind of poking around the area and she sees the reverse bear trap that Amanda had and she's kind of poking around and it goes off and it startles her and uh, Amanda shows up and she's like, you know, talking to her and Lynn's like, oh, you know, I can't do this medical procedure and she kind of cuts her off and is like, I'm sorry. It must be hard to con- to concentrate when you're surrounded by so many things you could kill me with. And then she's just talking her through why escape won't work. And then she's like, kind of brings it back of like, okay, do you have everything you need for the surgery? And Lynn looks around and goes, you know, I have the tools to cut somebody open, but I don't have the tools to save a life. And then Amanda kind of glances at the reverse bear trap and says, you'd be surprised which tools can save a life. And I think that, like, I literally just got chills thinking about it. It's such a great line, especially because that then immediately trans like it's a complete transition to when he was about to go put her into the, the saw two trap. Uh, mm. and it shows how she helped him set up the bathroom trap in the first movie. Yeah. So it's then like, this is her being like, this is actually what it's like working with them and setting up these games. Mm. Um, and I mean, obviously Amanda's got to do the grunt work because John's dying of cancer. So, who uh, kidnapped Adam from his apartment when he was clicking the camera the whole time? That was Amanda. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, she's been involved with the bath. She's the reason that Adam's key went down the drink. She just kind of threw it on his chest. Um, yep. We see her fucking kill him. Yeah. Which I won't say is a spoiler because we already kind of figured he was dead. But because well, we saw his body. That's true. We, we did. Uh, but, I mean, she goes back in there. Presumably, like, a couple of days after the game is done, kind of wakes him up from his, like, dehydrated stupor and suffocates him with a plastic bag. Presumably mm-hmm. to put him out of his misery, I would think. Because there's really no other reason other than she was just like, I wonder what it's like to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. Which also could be. Um, I don't really have a whole lot else before we get into spoiler territory. Which I think is good because we got about, like, five minutes to just... <laughs> to get through some spoilers. And there's a fucking lot of it. There's a lot to get okay, through. Okay, so beginning spoiler territory now. Now. Okay, so the whole test all along was Amanda's. Uh, Lynn was there to, quote-unquote, uh, test someone's ability to keep somebody alive. John didn't mean that at Lynn. He meant that at Amanda. At Amanda. He kind of was like, clearly you're spiraling because the games that she had been put up through this thus far... Um, including the angel trap, which had Carrie in it, which in a, mm-hmm. in a psycho kind of way for a while, we were like, oh, she's going to be the new character now. And then they killed her. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. So all of her traps, including that classroom one, they're all unwinnable traps because she rigged them some way. You know, the bathroom one, not the bathroom one, the classroom one, the, some of the hooks you wouldn't have been able to pull out. So you would have been dead anyway and, and she the door was welded shut so true. he couldn't escape the nail bomb even if he broke through all the chains yeah and just the thesis of the angel trap if something is wired to your rib cage you're not going to be able to pull it out if you unlock the harness because it's attached mm-hmm. to your bones so she was gonna die so amanda just executed people and yep. john had a line earlier where he said that he isn't a murderer and that he despised murderers in the sense that again john's games are about learning a lesson he wants you to live he wants you to get that like extra oomph and survive amanda was just killing people with death traps yep um uh again like in the last movie actors were only given the full script if they were in the final scenes only three or four people had the full script especially Mm -hmm. because they were rewriting it constantly you're probably like are they gonna change it um i would say that oh um John turning on Amanda, like the whole thesis of the trap being about her, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, It kind of shows that John is not above turning on his allies the very movie after it was established that he had allies at all. So as soon Mm -hmm. as you're like, oh, shit, there's more than one, this movie, you're like, oh, shit, they'll kill each other. Just, oh, shit, he doesn't care. Yeah, he'll just fucking kill people. Um... Uh, the one thing I did have about Carrie and like how you like I, people probably initially thought it was hers. Um, lots of people who saw Saw Two probably went into this, and Carrie started doing stuff like, "Oh, okay, you know, another cop-centric plot yawn. That's boring." And then, boom, the main cop dies. The movie is about these other characters, mm-hmm. and it makes up for the fact that they were gonna have a female protagonist with Carrie, and then they killed her, and then they had a double female protagonist slash antagonist with Amanda and Lynn. So they still yeah. fit that, you know. People that were going into it, like, oh, I, they were all so close to doing this. Like, no, they did it, and they did it in a different way. Also, the whole um, Jeff thing, losing his son, forgiveness, all that stuff. Where's his wife been the whole time? It's Lynn. It's Lynn. Lynn also lost a son, which is clearly where her depression comes from. Is that her son fucking died, and that her her husband started to spiral, so she just went the opposite direction. So. Mm-hmm. As Jeff completes his test and finds himself in the hospital bedroom where John is, the moment that Amanda shoots Lynn, because she fails her test, because she is convinced that, you know, she doesn't deserve to live, blah, 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 all this stuff, she's in a complete breakdown, she gets killed, Jeff, obviously, who has just collected a gun from beating his final test, shoots Amanda. A gun and a single bullet. A single bullet. Shoots Amanda. Amanda's bleeding out on the floor while John is telling her all of these things in the part one of the montage. And then I guess you could say, you know, the whole thing about Amanda's programming collapsing and her relapsing and her claiming Mm -hmm. the method doesn't really work seems to be the franchise's attempt to delegitimize the character who was gaining a cult following in and out of the movie. Um, But after Saw 3, the advertisement turns much more jigsaw-oriented um, images on posters, uh, the taglines, especially with him having been killed in Saw 3. Mm-hmm. Now, bear with me here, listeners, and you, my co-host. It is as if the cult leader has died and has Christ-like in glory and has finally ascended to the point where he transcends humanity. Like Michael Myers becoming evil incarnate, or more than just a man, Jigsaw has relinquished his mortal coil and, it, and maybe even conspiratorially, has planned his own death, which makes him the ultimate criminal mastermind, because even after his death, there's still five fucking movies, listeners. Yeah. He's not... Oh, I should, probably should have mentioned that John dies. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jeff yeah, slices I, 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 his I, throat. Fuck, I got ahead of myself. I got too excited about like how he's kind of like <laughs> Jesus. Um, because after, the wor- after this, all of the posters are about him, despite him being dead. Uh, mm-hmm. All the taglines, especially, um, no, it's in Saw 4, I believe, where it's the tagline is, I'm still among you, which is like, mm-hmm. first of all, creepy as fuck. Secondly, if you are someone, you know, it's just like, you know, any sort of religion. They're just like, no, 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 no. He's beyond your laws, police department of not Detroit. He's something more than a man. He is a symbol. He's a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, also, what I think is really funny, the ending is literally that meme of those people aiming guns at each other in the church. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's literally just yes. Lynn, Amanda, Jeff, and then, spoiler territory, at least for you and me, we know who kills those people later on. So it's just mm-hmm. a nesting, like, block of all of this stuff. Um, really quickly, Lynn's death along with Carrie's is the one that I regret the most in this franchise. You say the woman in the in the bull the brazen bull in saw seven. However, yes. I will say that there were just as many cops and bystanders or sorry, cops in that movie alone that were just gunned down for no reason. And bystanders from the first trap that were probably horribly and needlessly traumatized in that movie. So I will say that saw seven just takes the body count public <laughs> and becomes <Yeah>. terrorism. <laughs> true. True, um, true. True. But I, but I will contend to that. I made a note cause I'm like, Dane is going to say the brazen bull, but I'm like, everyone I, I in Saw w- 7 fucked up. I would say that's one I will fight about. I will fight that the, that woman in Saw 7 does not deserve it. A lot of these people don't deserve it. Okay. <laughs> I'll come out and say it myself. Most of these people <laughs> don't deserve to die. That is true. Uh, last one. Jeff 
fails the test by he he jigsaw's like hey you should forgive me and then he's like i forgive you and then just somehow reneges on all the progress he's made so far and kills john with a buzzsaw and then Mm -hmm. john clicks the tape and he's like ha jeff if you're listening to this you failed and then the door shut he's like now you're stuck and i'm the only one who knows where your daughter is and then smash the credits oh and lynn uh dies yeah lynn gets shot by her shotgun carly yeah so, we got it done before seven, day. <laughs> we did I'm it. I'm sorry this one seemed rushed. There was a lot of this movie, and clearly it's it's both of our like mutual. It's up there for me, and it's your favorite. It's it's a really solid entry into the franchise. Yeah, and everything I said about it being like, because this is like kind of an ending of a trilogy. John has died, mm. but it opens. But there's up, so much yet yeah, to go. But it opens up this world of possibilities. Which we will mm-hmm. get to next week, along with a bonus episode that we'll record sometime about yes. hopefully The Conjuring Three, because you're watching it tonight. Watching it tonight. Yeah, man, you're gonna get so hyped. It's it's I'm so, so excited. That movie is so metal, man. <laughs> <laughs> also, keep in mind the whole movie they're just trying to get they're just trying to sell you on how bad the bad guys are. But man, it just made me want to be one of them more. <laughs> they're like. None can withstand the power of a master Satanist. And I'm just like, fucking sign me up for that. (laughs) All right. uh, Follow our Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can send us requests and comments at our email, squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. And if you have, I mean, I'm hoping that people responded well to the minisode and the break from Saw. Um, We're trying our best to get all these episodes out. Um, I'm doing pretty much nothing, but Danny, you're in a show. So yes, we're we open next week. Yeah, and I'm oh, maybe even if we have time when I go visit, we can record Saw Four together. Yeah, oh, that'd be weird. <laughs> It'll be different. It'll be very different. All right, y'all. Until next time, Game stay spooky out there. Over. Over.